You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. What a joy it is, Roots Community Church, to be here. And for us to hear God's word and for us to pay diligent attention to it. Psalm 16, the entire chapter. A miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You may be seated. This morning we come to King David, who is facing the imminent reality of death. But while facing death... Something strange is happening here. At the end of this psalm, David says, For you will not abandon my soul to show, or let your Holy One see corruption. What David is saying here is that God is going to preserve his life through Sheol, or death, Sheol being the Hebrew name for the place of the dead also called hell and Hades. But how can he say this? How can David be this confident? Experience shows us that no one talks like this. That we all know that we are going to die, that death is unstoppable, and that this dark shadow hangs over our lives And if we heard someone say that, I'm not going to die or I'll be saved, we think, what world are you living in? So what is going on with David? And the way that we approach this question, where we need to go, is to look to the New Testament. Because it is here that we can find David's source of hope, confidence, and unrelenting joy. We see in Acts chapter 2, verses 29 to 32, when Peter stands up to preach the first sermon 
of the church. And he goes here. He goes to this psalm. And he says this, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that we are all witnesses. Peter is saying that if we're going to understand this psalm, we have to see Christ. And we have to center this psalm on what Jesus has done. And this is wonderful good news for us. Because all the scripture testifies that so goes the way of the king, so will go the way of his people with him. And so just as King Jesus has gone before us and been raised, we have the hope that his kingdom, which we are part of, will be raised with him. So the aim of the sermon this morning is for us to be overwhelmed with the joy in Christ's resurrection and be filled with hope in him. If you're a note taker, we're going to look at this at three points. And first, uh, we're going to look at growing in humility, growing in contentment, and lastly, growing in joy. Humility, contentment, and joy. In verse 1, David starts right where we need to start with any of our struggles. He says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. You've probably experienced the temptation to find security or safety in your job, a spouse, a bank account, some uh, hope or plan for the future. But David starts right at the rock bottom of where we must start with any of our worries and our fears is to cry out to God. And as much as we want to be in control of our future, as much as we want to know the outcome of what we plan, we, we don't have this control. Which is why, no matter what you face, you must start with reliance upon God. And David shows us what this reliance looks like. So he goes on now in verse 2 to show us two ways for us to deepen our reliance upon God. First, he says in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. You are my Lord. David is saying that, Lord, you are not some distant, uninvolved, deistic, faraway God, but you're my God. You're my God. You and I are so close. And this is a reminder of the uh, refrain that we hear through all of the Bible where God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. David is saying, yes, that is what I am after. You are my God. And David calls on him for help. And secondly, David says, I have no good apart from you. I have no good apart from you. David recognizes that he only has goodness or righteousness because of the Lord. 
And he takes a posture of humility. David is seeking help from the Lord and humbly relying on the goodness of God. He's not coming to him and saying, look at my works. Look, I'm the king. Look, I deserve to not have to go through death or to have my life threatened. No, he says, Lord, have mercy. I have no goodness apart from you. And just as we do not have the power to raise ourselves from the grave, we don't have the power to gain our own righteousness. We can sometimes think when we we think about righteousness or good works, like, yeah, I, I got this. But resurrection? No way. And that's why when we look at this passage, we have to see that David is completely helpless to lay out his burdens before the Lord. We cannot gain our own righteousness. It must be a gift. And what is good about this is it breaks down any attempt that we can have to boast in ourselves. We, we can't boast in ourselves if we don't have the stuff to offer. And so, do you find that you only pray when you're faced with a difficulty, with a time of suffering or a difficult circumstance. Uh, one of the litmus test questions uh, I try to ask and need to ask more <laughs> is, do I only pray when I have something distressing to figure out or some worry for the future? Or do I pray in the highs and the lows? Do I thank God for all these given to me? Or is there that part of my heart that wants to say, yeah, but I did that. <laughs> That's mine. Don't, don't touch this. The reason we we don't want to pray and thank God in the highs of life is because our our hearts so much want to pull away from our dependence. And yet it is good that we as creatures depend on our creator. And we ought to thank the Lord always as we sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's not just spiritual blessings, that's your skills your job, your capabilities, everything belongs to him. So here David shows us to remember our need for the Lord in every circumstance so that we might grow in humility. And point two is that we need to grow in contentment. Contentment. Uh, After David is humbled, he turns to God's abundant provision of God in his life. And David finds help to be content in, in two ways And I think the first one might surprise you. In verse three, David says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David starts with looking at God's people and he goes, I'm delighted. I'm just delighted. He's delighted by God's people. And and it's not just a, a little bit of delight or encouragement. He says, the saints in whom is all my delight. And what is so striking about this statement is that when you look back at Psalm 1, David says the same thing about the Torah, about the law of God. The scriptures in uh, Psalm 1-2 says, his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. What David is saying is just as much as he's delighted in the scriptures, he's delighting in God's people. And 
this poses a challenge for us because it's really easy for us to be bent towards one or the other, right? I mean, we, we can just love to sit with the scriptures, quiet time, or we can love to be with people, but to have both, to put both as vital to our walk with Christ. Uh, the scriptures don't allow us to pick and choose between these things. Uh, if you're struggling to find contentment, if, if you're struggling to go throughout your day and find this, this thankfulness and contentment in the Lord, the question is, do you see the church the way that God sees the church? The resurrection means that, it, what the resurrection means for this passage and what David is saying here is that one day, one day, we will stand together with no sin, with no bitterness, with no hurt or baggage, but united at peace. And when we can bring that future reality into the present, when we can look at each other this way, it truly is a blessing. Uh, you may go have some conflict or struggle come up and, and you to tell yourself, you know what, brother, you, you, you hurt me, or sister, what you said stung, but I'm going to choose to look at you in light of the resurrection. I'm going to forgive and love you and not let this hurt define us. It's done. It's done. Moving on. Uh, we live in a time when the church needs radical, Christ-centered, biblical love so that it stands in such a stark contrast to the confusion that is around us all other days of the week and for the church to stand as a light. So David finds contentment in God's people, somewhat surprising, but now he turns to him finding contentment in the Lord. In verse five, it says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And if you skip down to verse eight, it says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Here, David looks to the Lord himself to be his inheritance. Now, when we first hear this passage, it is very quick to just think, well, okay, that's kind of a nice thing to say. Uh, this is encouraging. This, is, uh, this sounds like a very godly response to the Lord. But we miss the shock that is here. And that is that David is turning away from his physical land inheritance. He's turning away from the land of Judah, which is where all of your hope, your security, your plans for the future would rest. He's saying, no, the Lord is my portion. And that makes, means that David is talking like a priest. In, in uh, Numbers 18.20, the Lord said to Aaron, you shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. David is saying that, that everything that would provide security for the king, for the people of Israel, he's saying, I mean, this is family land passed on from generation to generation. For David to say, Lord, you're my portion, not, not this. Don't we so often do the opposite? <laughs> We forget that all we have in this life cannot keep us from being shaken, toppled down, knocked over. As Jesus said, you either build your life on the sand or you build it on the rock. 
And when the Lord is your portion, your cup, your future, your hope, then you can actually be content. You can actually be content through circumstances that are totally out of your control. Now, this isn't easy, right? <laughs> That's always where the rub and the difficulty is. But when, because it's not easy, because we've got so much coming in around us to tell us the opposite, to tell us that, no, you, your life really does depend on this next thing that you see advertised. And we think that, you know, if we could just get, if we could just get these things, if we could just get certain things that we're told will make us happy, then, you know, we'll be content if I get this thing or that or get my body the way I want it to be or get some clothes or whatever it may be. All of that is a lie. It's a lie because this passage says that the Lord is where the beautiful inheritance is. God is where our source of contentment comes from. And, and David isn't even saying this is when he's under some, you know, stressful situation. He's facing death and he can find contentment in what God has done and what God is, is doing for him in his present dire circumstances. And this is why he could say in verse 8, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Uh, for many of us who have grown up here, California, in a fairly uh, ordered and uh, blessed area financially, oftentimes death is, is so far away, so far removed from us, that one of the first times it sort of hits home and can, and can hurt real bad is when you have your first child with a high fever and we don't know why. Don't know why. Child's sick. And you feel this worry of this worry and hopelessness. This, I, I can't figure this out. And oftentimes doctors don't know. And you just have to completely, you have no other option but to turn to the Lord. And you, you might ask the question, how can you let this happen? God, I'm, I'm frustrated. Um, but it's in these moments that we need a psalm like this. Because this psalm reminds us that contentment and the ability to not be knocked down and knocked over by death and the brokenness in the world is only found by setting the Lord always before us. In verse 8, it says, I've set the Lord always before me. Like, literally, I've, I've put God in front of my circumstances. I've put God in front of my view so that I would not be knocked down. And you, know, you have to say to yourself, you know, Lord, no matter what happens, I'm going to remember that you're right here. You're at my right hand. And so, again, the resurrection is the only path for this to be, for, for contentment to be truly possible. Um, and the reason why is because if we are relieved from our suffering, if we're relieved from a temporary trial, it will always be just temporary. But, in light of the resurrection, there is a permanence, a eternality to our suffering coming to an end. And also, without the hope of the resurrection, suffering actually can bring in closer to our lives that shadow of death. Uh, if, if you don't have hope that one day this is all going to be righted, that this is all going to be fixed, then Everything you're doing is just to exist, to get over the next hurdle. Uh, often, you know, for those who don't have uh, some hope or, or 
uh, looking ahead to the possibility of suffering ending, it can actually bring death closer. Uh, fatigue, depression, restlessness, because we have to burden ourselves with all of these uh, fears and worries because we can't have assurance that it's actually going to end. And this is why the world seeks to medicate this reality. There's no other option. I mean, what, what other option is there? It's a, a maybe that we might get through this whole death problem. But through Christ, death is actually conquered. And so by delighting in God's people and delighting in the Lord, we can grow now, right now, in contentment to not be completely knocked over. Sure, we're going to get hit. We know part of the Christian life is suffering and walking through trials and struggles. But with this hope, with the Lord before our face, we can be steadfast. And lastly, point three is that we need to grow in joy. Now, I I didn't expect all the baby dedications, so there's no need to highlight the joy that we just (laughs) saw and experienced. Um, But the joy that we have here in the scriptures uh, is drawing us to this deeper, eternal joy. As David says in verse 9, therefore, so so everything up to this point, everything up to this point of humility, contentment, looking to the Lord, he's now coming to his concluding Uh, exhortation, his concluding praise in his prayer. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. This is what David is driving to, is this joy that fills the, the inner heart and it fills and it brings security to outside of us. And he goes on to say how, and, and what's, what's the reason, what's the ground for this? He says, because or for, you will not abandon my soul to shell or let your Holy One see corruption. And so David is saying that I can rejoice right now because in the future, my, my e- eternal soul, my body, all of it is ultimately safe. And David, again, is rejoicing in what only God can provide. And this is the only way that we can dwell secure and experience joy is if we know that the future is safe. The future is set in stone. When we are so glued to our present circumstances, when we're glued to what gets us through day to day, uh, when we're glued to the things that bring us momentary joy, we can miss the wonderful future that God has for us. Even now as we worship together here and we experience the the joy of praising God and and worshiping him, we cannot let it terminate on this. We cannot let this be the extent to which we see joy continue. Uh, As a quote from, quote on the screen, the first quote by Richard Baxter, I think summarizes very well Uh, The comforts that flow through sermons, sacraments, reading, company, conversation, and creature are but half comforts. And the life that comes by all these is only a half life in comparison to those comforts the Almighty will speak with his own mouth 
He's talking about when we see God face to face and he says with his, <laughs> when he says to us, you're mine, you're here, I love you. And David says at the end of, end of the psalm, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Literally, this is like an overabundance of joy, a satisfying joy, or as I think the NET Bible puts it very well, absolute joy. It's complete. And it's vital to see that it's not joy in our outcome, not joy in a feeling, an experience, but it's in a position. He says that in your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. It is at and in the presence of God that we experience this fullness of joy. But the real question is, and, and this is you know, the question, how do we grow in joy now? You may find that a decision, uh, a plan, a, a need or a problem can lead to just weighing you down, just burdening and, and pulling you down. Uh, have you felt you know, weighed down by trials? I, I certainly have. But what this psalm is driving us towards, what this psalm is pushing us to, is it's as though the Lord is saying to us, just come a little closer to me. Come closer. Come closer. Know the joy that I offer you. Know the joy of having all of your sins forgiven, past, present, future. Don't, don't trade me in for feelings or for circumstances or goals. But hear my word and, and hear my love for you. This is what God is calling us in this psalm. But as we come uh, to the end here, it can be difficult to really digest the significance of the hope we have in the resurrection and what Christ accomplished for us. You, you, you may think, okay, I, I hear everything you're saying. I, I want to grow in humility, contentment, joy, but I just struggle. I just struggle. I feel like God is far, that there is so much more that I need to do for him, but I, I can't seem to get the energy and the motivation to do it. Dear Christian, the answer is very simple. Look to Jesus. The author of Hebrews says in verse 12, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, the joy, Jesus, Jesus had joy that he was looking towards, just like us. Joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As we started this off, we saw that Peter told us, you must see that this psalm is about Jesus. So when we look back through the psalm, we see some interesting things. While David humbled himself here, it was only Jesus who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross who stepped off his throne so that he could come near to us. David could delight in and, and be content with God's people, but how much more does Jesus love his church? David could only talk like a priest, but Jesus is our high priest. 
and he intercedes for us right now. David could only hope to be saved from death or distress, but Jesus defeated death once for all. And not just his own, but ours with him. And Jesus did what David never could. He made a way for us to be in the presence of God and receive everlasting joy. The opposite of all we deserve. And uh, with the final quote here, I think sums up what is going on here, that where we're going to find joy in the midst of our present pilgrim and suffering. As Richard Baxter again says so well, the arms of the Son of God were laid wide open on the cross and a passage was made to his heart by the spear. And will his arms and heart not be open to you in glory? Did he begin to love you before you loved him? Will he not continue now? Did he not love you while you were an enemy and a sinner? Will he not immeasurably love you as a son, as a perfect saint? So brothers and sisters, do you know how much Christ loves you? Christ's love is the very source of where we're going to love others. It's his love that overflows in our hearts that leads us to obedience, obedience and strength and to pursue him. So there's only one practical uh, boots on the ground takeaway here from this sermon. And that is similar to David, whether you're in the, the highs of life or you're in the lowest of lows, is to pour out your heart to Christ because his heart is open to you. And when you feel anxiety, worry, uh, the dark moments that feel like a, a shadow of death, just to, to give an example, just come to God and say, God, I love you because you have immeasurably loved me. Help me experience joy again and lead me to hope in you. God, God doesn't want our big, long, fancy prayers. <laughs> he likes the short and simple the ones that are vulnerable, that lay our heart out to him. And God can take whatever confusing pieces we put out. He completely gets it. And if you're in that blessing and, and height of life, and say, God, would you help me see this blessing is coming from your hand and, and not forget you. Remember that you care and that you provide. Uh, all of this psalm pushes us to see that joy is only found in Christ. And that in that joy, everything else gets sweeter. It's, it's not one or the other. God, his blessings overflow in all the areas of our life. So as we conclude here, may we experience Roots Community Church little by little, this humility, contentment, and joy that is found in Christ alone. Come to him. His heart's open. Let's pray. Oh Lord, Father, thank you for the joy that you have set before us. As we worship here, we get a foretaste of worship that will never end. We experience fellowship now, which is just a, a taste of Fellowship that will never be interrupted by death. Lord, thank you for the hope of the resurrection and that, be, and that beyond anything that we can imagine is the love that you have for us.
your people. Father, what we know not through this passage, help teach us, guide us. What we have not in our walk with Christ, Lord, please give us. And what we are not, God, make us. That we would be a people who are so radically in love with you, God, that it would be unmistakable to see who are your people today. Bless this time. And Lord, would you lift up our praises to you. In Jesus' name, amen.